Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The music there, the sound of the BBC in 1982 and their World Cup coverage. You are listening to Top Flight Time Machine. Except it isn't. It is World Cup Time Machine with myself, Andy Dawson, and him... Sam Delaney. Indeed. That was the 1982 music for the BBC and it was, I think it was an Andrew Lloyd Webber composition. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, we are, of course, going to talk throughout this podcast today, we're going to look back on the 1982 World Cup in Spain. And it's interesting you say that because I listened to that and, and thought, well, the, the main problem with that is there's, it doesn't sound Spanish. No, it didn't, did it? It doesn't sound Spanish. I didn't, I mean, and Andrew Lloyd Webber is a terrible choice of composer for a World Cup song. But you know, it wasn't really until 1990 that the BBC and subsequently ITV upped their game when it came to the intro music because of Nessam Dorma. And that was so powerful and yeah. enraptured the audiences to such a degree that since then they've tried. But it sounds to me like they just made a generic yeah. theme tune that could have applied to any sport. They, they, I mean, it could have almost been the, you know, um, it could have been the theme tune to the gentle touch. Yeah, it, it needed some more of a flamenco influence, didn't it? It yeah. needed, like, castanets and, and that kind of thing. Or Dempsey and, and Makepeace, it could sound yeah. like. Yeah, castanets, some Spanish guitar, mm. um, all that sort of stuff. Well, we've chosen that one as the intro for this podcast, and the ITV one we're going to end the podcast with because, yeah. in our opinion, it's even worse. Mm. So, you know, you pay your money and you get disappointed. Uh, so it's the World Cup 1982. This is the first World Cup that I properly remember. What vague memories of 78 Argentina, but this is the first one I can remember being properly immersed in. Yeah. And Panini stickers. Panini sti- oh, yeah, Panini stickers. I was kind of three years into that anyway. But the um, at school, we did, we did a project, an uh, art project, where we put loads of pictures up along the wall of the corridor. Did the outside same at the my classroom. school. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you this now. I don't think I've ever given more of myself in any creative endeavour mm. since then, since 1982, and that that display that I did. What what it, was it, your display? It was, well, it was just pictures of like the mascot Naranjito. Who was a little was a, Satsuma? Was, a, was he? He was a little Satsuma, little orange. Yeah, um, Seville orange. Was that we had sort of like pictures of the players, uh, the England team, all this kind of thing. I think we had a, a wall chart that we'd made with all of the fixtures on and all that. It was just an a, it was an immersive 
walkthrough experience yeah. of the 1982 World Cup now. If you put it on at the South Bank, you charge 25 quid a ticket. Yeah, World Cup Museum. Well, we did something similar at my school. Believe it or not, right. at the other end of the country, while you were busying yourselves with your own display, we yeah. did one of ours. It was a conceptual nightmare, though, because the teacher, Miss Taylor, who I hated and still hate, uh, oh, she no, she was awful. That bad? She was really awful. Okay. I mean, well, I'll tell you a story if you want. That First, in the interest of context, I'll be brief, just to illustrate why I didn't like her and why yeah. I think she was a bad person. Um, my on a parents' evening, I was from a single parent family. I don't want your sympathy. I wasn't going to give you. I just was, right? And um, on parents' evening, my mum was always busy, and it was hard for her to get along and arrange childcare for the other kids and blah blah blah. And she had done on that night, and and she was about to leave when our the cat started giving birth to a litter of kittens that we hadn't expected. And my mum freaked out. And we thought, are five minutes into our World Cup podcast. Listen, this is important. This is set in, a cat is giving birth. This is set in the context for my 1982 World Cup Go experience. On. It was 1982. Ron Greenwood had just named his squad. The cat, perhaps in response to some of the surprise selections and omissions in Greenwood's squad, had um, broken. Its waters had broken. It was giving birth. My mum was caught in a situation where she thought, can I leave this cat giving birth? Of course, I know she could have done cats give birth on their own all the time, but she was an animal lover. She freaked out. She didn't go. She told a teacher at school who she was friends with socially what the reason was that she couldn't attend it. This got back to Miss Taylor, my teacher, who the next day said in class in front of everyone, bear in mind I'm seven years old, she said, nice to see so many of your parents attend parents' evening last night. It was very nice to meet them and speak with them. Those who weren't, who who thought, those who were able to come and didn't think that the birth of some kittens was more important than their child's education, and she stared at me. She called me out about something my mum had done in front of the whole class. So that's the context. Now do you accept that she was a cow? Shitted your mum. Yeah, but imagine that. I don't care about my mum. She wasn't there to have her feelings hurt by it. It was me. I was called out in front of the class. So that's the context. So then she says, we've got to do something for the World Cup. Right. Um, so I want you all to basically, you lie on paper, get your mate to draw around you, cut it out. It's a full-size person. And then you paint it right. in the colours of a different team. Right. But she said it could be any football team. I don't think she understood that the World Cup was an international tournament. Mm. So she said, you can choose whatever team you support. So me and two mates, there was three West Ham fans in the class. And we said, oh, let's get together and do a West Ham one. So we started trying to do it. But, you know, at school, you only have a certain selection of paints. Claret is not one of them. <laughs> could you not mix them? Well, we could have done, but we were seven and we didn't understand red, how to make it. How did you get Claret? So, well, we had an argument. Red and a bit of blue? We had an argument. And my, I said that purple, which was red and blue, yeah. would be the closest approximation that we could make of Claret. And my mates, Alex and Oliver... Both said that they were just going to go with red. It was easier. What? Yes. And I got... And these were West Ham fans? They were West Ham fans. They said, let's just go with red, the blue sleeves. People will know if we put the badge on. And we had a colossal falling out over this. To the extent that, basically, they took the project away from me. They complained to Miss Taylor, who clearly didn't like me anyway, and said I was ruining it by being too fussy. Right? I wasn't. I was just paying attention to detail. Right? And we didn't talk for about a fortnight afterwards. I remain really good friends with one of them to this day. <laughs> but not the other. But not the other one. 
But that's my. I was only seven. Uh, the my. That's probably the most vivid and powerful memory I have of this World Cup. And you've you've blanked out the rest of the tournament in, no, in the way that some people do after a traumatic event. Yeah. Well, it's understandable, I suppose. I don't get think I've processed any of that properly. Can I just get back to Naranjito, who was the mascot? Yeah. I've, I've done a bit of digging into his, his background. Yeah. He was um, <laughs> he was an orange, a smiling orange, but he also appeared in a spin-off TV series that was produced around the time called Football in Action. And he was joined uh, by his girlfriend, mm. who's also an orange, yeah. his mate, who was a lemon. Oh, that's nice. And a robot. Hmm. And I think they went around well, what fighting, was, fighting football crimes, was, was I imagine. The, like match-fixing and so forth. Yeah, and, and, and spiking of uh, drinks and stuff. Mm. But, you know, the robot had done all the science stuff, I imagine. It fed the evidence in Yeah, them. it's nice that it showed as well that kids that oranges and, oranges and, and lemons. lemons could get along. Yeah, because... And yeah. he was having it off with another orange. He was having it off with a another orange. A sexy lady orange. Yeah. A she orange. Yeah, I mean... You know, if they were going to be a bit more forward thinking, he could have had it off with a lemon Ooh. or a lady lemon or mm. maybe, you know. That would have been a, frowned a, upon a, back a in those days. That would have been frowned upon because, of course, um, as I see from your notes, um, I'm not going to pretend I just knew this, <laughs> but Spain was only just emerging from beneath the yoke of Franco's the regime. Boot yes. Of Franco, who died just just over six years before this World Cup. Yeah, so democracy had only been introduced four years prior to the World Cup. Unreal, which is a bit isn't odd it? when you think about Spain and you go and have a holiday in Spain, you yeah. don't think that it was some kind of fascist junta yeah. just 30 years Would ago. Would you have gone anyway? Probably. Maybe you did, I don't know. Probably. Well, no, I didn't have a foreign I, holiday until I was 14 in 1986. I didn't, yeah, I and don't. That was Greece. I went to Spain. I was on holiday in Portugal. We drove to Spain for a day trip to Seville. Had I known about the but I think I think it was post fascism so I would have felt safe. Yeah. Or you wouldn't have been told about the fascism. No. Actually, do you know what? Fuck it, I'd go to anywhere. I mean, as long as I didn't think that I personally was in danger. Would you go to Russia to the World Cup? No, because I'd feel personally in danger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, but if I wasn't personally in danger, but there was a bad regime. Mm. So the people who lived there were on. I mean, well, look America. at Turkey. Loads of people go to on yeah. holiday to Turkey mm. all the time. I wouldn't do that. But what in protest against the regime yeah, exactly. of Erdogan? Yeah, I wouldn't go to America either in protest against Trump. Against the price of the flights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough, mate. Let's have a look at the England squad. Uh, the weird thing about the England squad compared to all the other squads in Spain '82, uh, the players were numbered in alphabetical order. What a silly idea. It's ridiculous, isn't it? So you've got Trevor Brookin wearing the number three shirt for the tournament. Oh, he, well, no. for the 20 minutes that he played in it. Brookin should have been number 10 every time. Steve Copple's wearing number five. Viv Anderson's wearing number t- oh, Viv Anderson's wearing number two. So well, that, that's, that's about that's right. right, yeah. yeah. But the so only hang exception... On a so, so was the goalie not wearing number one? The goalie had number one, yeah. Okay, that, that fair was, enough. That was, that was yeah. true to form. Um, the only exception was Kevin Keegan, who was given his favourite number seven. Because he was the golden favorite. boy, wasn't he? He was. He was. He wasn't uh, prepared. Presumably, yet. in the build-up to this World Cup, we were pinning our hopes to Keegan, just like in subsequent World Cups, we've pinned them to Rooney or Beckham or Owen, or in this yeah. forthcoming one, I suppose, Kane. Yeah. But yeah. He, was, he was almost more than that. He was probably... Beckham is the closest comparison in as much as he wasn't just an on-field hero. He was an off-field superstar. He was. Keegan was our talisman. I mean, mm. even even though he was sort of a bit injured at the time and he'd only been playing for Southampton. 
that, yeah. that previous season. It was him and it was Trevor Brookie, and they were the ones that had kind of dragged us through the qualifying stage. Do you remember the three-one away win in Hungary? When Is that the one where um, Trevor Brookings' shot got stuck in the stanchion? In the stanchion. Yeah. It is. I just want to say that word again. Stanchion. stanchion. You don't hear stanchions talked about as much anymore, do, do you? Do still have stanchions? Do they exist? I'm, I don't think No, they're, they're the sort goal. of uh, aerodynamic, high-tech, yeah. modern goals yeah, that don't, don't require a stanchion. Anymore, which is a shame, really. Yeah. So, yeah, Brookings got one stuck in the stanchion, and that, that helped us qualify. Um, England's campaign got off to the perfect start. We beat France 3-1 in our first game. And Brian Robson broke a world record for the um, the the earliest goal in a World Cup yeah. match. Twenty seven seconds. I remember. Still stands, this. I think, doesn't Does it? it? I think it know. still stands. I remember watching this on an old black and white telly that had been put in my bedroom, which had previously belonged to my great grandma, mm. who died shortly before your, the tournament. Your great grandmother had a telly. Yeah. yeah, black and white one though. Massive it's impressive. thing it was. Yeah. So by the time it was in my bedroom, there was my bed. Mm. A wardrobe and this fucking. She had just telly. died, but that hadn't put you off, had it? Getting the grabbing the telly like a vulture and, no and watching the, the telly. World Cup on it. Everybody else had a colour telly. I had a bit of space. Yeah, let me ask you something. Said, how, I have it. I how have long it. did you leave it between the announcement of her death and you inquiring as to the availability of her television set? Well, you know when you turn the old-fashioned TV off and it stays warm for quite a while. <laughs> yes. It was still warm. It was still warm. Okay, fair enough. Well, you know, it was World Cup year, so, you know, usual rules didn't apply when it came to respecting the dead and all the rest of it. This This is it! it. So England beat France um, 3-1 that first game, and then they went on and they beat Czechoslovakia 2-0. And by the way, that wasn't a bad result because the French went on to do very well, and that was a strong French team that only two years later won the Euros. I mean, that was the France of Platini and Tigana, right? Yep. Um, I mean, you know, typically England, we beat them, and then they obviously got further in the tournament than we did. But um, it was. It was a strong start. We beat Czechoslovakia, then we beat Kuwait by one goal to nil, um, which got us into the second round. Now, it wasn't a knockout. It was a stupid structure. Yeah, it was a mini group, a group of three. What a a pointless waste of time. There were six groups in the first stage. Top two from each group went through, so that was 12 teams. And then they broke them down into four groups of three from which the winners went Um, on to the semi-finals. Does that make sense? No. I mean, I've switched off listening to you a minute, five minutes ago. Right. And, you know, no offence to you, but whoever made that up is the real criminal here because it's a stupid system, group after group. It sounds like what the modern Europa League is probably based on. Yeah, um, that no one pays attention but to. But if you, if you really look at it, to have got off... To, I mean, nowadays, when you think how terrible our record is in tournaments, to have got off to that start where we beat France 3-1, then Czechoslovakia 2-0, then Kuwait 1-0, three wins on the spin. Yep. Nowadays, you'd be flying. But yep. all that got us to do was go into another bloody another silly group. group. And it wasn't an easy group either. We were in with West Germany and yeah. we were in with Spain. Yeah. And all we could manage was two goalless draws in that mini group, which dumped us out of the tournament. So we famously got eliminated without losing a game. We did. And actually only conceding a single goal, conceded one goal against France. Matches. So in many ways, you could say that we were the real winners of the World Cup in 1982. You we were undefeated. That. You could say that, but I think you'd be wrong. Um, for me, the winner of the World Cup 1982 was David Nery right. of Dundee United, played mm. for Scotland, and he scored 
what I think was one of the best goals of the tournament against the Brazil team, which were arguably the best, the best team, team in the, team tournament. the tournament. Even though they didn't win it, we're not going to worry about but that. They're commonly regarded as the best team. Yeah, and it was a Brazil-esque screamer that Neri scored. And he was a defender as well. I think he was, a, was he a full-back? Something like that. Um, and that gave them the lead against Brazil and they ended up losing 4-1. But I'm not done with England yet. Let's get back to England because right. those two 0-0 draws, Keegan and Brooking, who had been... The two star men. The star men, but had been injured for the entirety of the tournament. He took them anyway. A bit, bit like we've seen subsequently in World Cups where yeah. you, you take a gamble on your star men even if they're not fully fit. Yeah, that's right. And these, these two... Titans yeah. came on as subs when England needed two goals to win the group against Spain and I think they both had a chance each that they both squandered. Brooking drilled a shot wide and Keegan had a header that he put um, put wide of the goal and that was that was the end of England's dream. So close to the semi How did you feel? You were, I think you were more immersed in this World Cup than I was. I was. I was I and was. how did you, in that, the last, that was the game you're speaking of is, was the Spain game. The Spain game, yeah. And how did you feel at the end? Do you remember the, the feeling of heartbreak? I think there was a problem with the reception on the, the on Nana's telly, yeah. Black and white telly, so I might not have saw all of it. No, I, went, I, went, I was allowed to go downstairs and watch it in colour. On the obviously. colour. Um, it was, it was frustrating you know, it was kind of, you know, fist in mouth kind of stuff. Yeah. Because there was that, it, you, you could tell England were getting desperate. Ron Greenwood, a man not usually known for desperation. Very calm. Very calm. Like Alf Ramsey on, mm. on like, you know, antidepressants. On benzos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he um, he threw, threw Keegan and Brooking on as a, as a last minute gamble mm. and it didn't work out. And, and Brooking actually sent in that teasing cross. In late on to Keegan yeah and Keegan had the goal at his mercy yeah no, but people say that he, he rather than just stick his nut on it in the conventional way he decided to do uh, one for the cameras yeah, and he, flick his mane yeah there was a bit of um, a bit of a head toss at the same time as he did the header one that they could have used in his next brute yeah advert. even though it would have only been the first goal of two that was needed he was Never thinking the, ahead thinking exactly. he'd put another one in five minutes later but of course he didn't so, so that was a shame for England. England. That was that. Probably um, the highlight of England's um, tournament, I reckon, will have been their um, their World Cup single that they did, which a got real to number two in the charts. And it was called This Time We'll Get It Right, which mm. of course they didn't. So shall we hear a little bit Let's of that? Let's have a listen, yeah. This time, more than any other time, this time. There we are, England. I remember the episode of Top of the Pops. It's quite a famous episode because it had... So you remember nothing of the World Cup, but you remember the Top of the Pops. Vividly. Mm. Vivid I do, listen, I do remember the World Cup. It's just that, you know, like you said, look, what I'm dancing around here, Andy, is that you're a couple of years older than me. Yeah. And just as you said, you've got vague recollections of 78, but 82 is the one that, you know, you re- yeah. that lives with you. For me, it's the same, but 82 and 86. So 86. That's all right. I'm not judging you. However, I know, you know, enough to sustain this podcast, If as long as you're prepared to do most of the heavy lifting, which you always do anyway. But I do remember the Top of the Pops because it had three football songs on. It had This Time We'll Get It Right, which we've just heard a bit of. Mm-hmm. It also had the B-side. 
that, that which they also performed live on top of the pops. Which do you remember it? We'll fly for you. We'll fly the flag. Right. It was stolen from a British Airways advert. Nowadays they would call it branded content. Yeah. Because it was British Airways were the official airline of the England team who were flying them out to Spain. Yeah. And they appeared, and and so the song was actually based on the British Airways jingle from their adverts, uh, which was called We'll Fly the Flag. So you effectively had, on the BBC, let's not forget, a bunch of the country's most famous sportsmen joined by a collection of, uh, as they were called at the time, in less politically correct times, (laughs) trolley dollies, right? (laughs) British Airways air stewardesses. Yep. And... um, they were singing this song, um, uh, we'll fly the flag, we'll fly, the, we'll, that was it, we'll take more care of you, we'll fly the flag, we'll fly the flag. That was their that was the slogan. Ad, wasn't it? Yeah, their slogan was, we'll take more care of you, right? And in the context of a load of trolley dollies with a load of roguish England footballers, you know, your, mm. your, your, your handsome devils, like your Viv Andersons and your Steve Dave Coppel. Watsons and your Steve Copples of this world. Um, your Paul Mariners. Yeah, your Tony Woodcocks, Ooh. rakish men of the world, uh, ra- arching an eyebrow in the direction of these trolley dollies and the trolley dollies promising them to take more care of them, mm. interpret that as you will. So they performed the B-side for that and on the same show... Spurs were doing their FA Cup song, which was Aussies going to Wembley. Right. I think it was that. So It was a Chaz and Dave one anyway. Yeah. And it, Glenn Hoddle famously had to cross the studio floor say, from the England twice. squad to the, to the Tottenham team. Now, I recently spent some time with Viv Anderson, who we've already mentioned a couple Whoa, of times on this that's, podcast. That's a curveball. I'm just going to throw that in there. That's a curveball. And I asked him about his memories of that, and he said... Yeah, I re- the only anecdote he remember was he goes, I remember when we went to the studio, I got off the coach I, too soon. He goes, usually... You, Is that you a le- euphemism? You leave yeah, <laughs> with those stewards with the trolley dollies. He said, I got off too soon, so suddenly I was up the front on top of the pops with Keegan, <laughs> who was supposed to be the main man. Of he course. went, and I hated it. He goes, I didn't know the words. I didn't know anything about the song. And I went, it was a good song. And he went... I can't remember it. So then I started singing it. This time we'll get it right. Duh, it's what duh, we set duh, 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 out to do. We had a dream and now we're... Ma- and he just looked blankly at me went, I've not got a clue what... I've got no memory of that. And I went, I've seen you sing it. And he went, I can't even remember what I was doing last you'd, week. You'd expect that from like one of Crosby, Stills and Nash. Yeah. Not remembering a song not... they'd done in their mid-70s or something like that. And also, Viv Anderson, Anderson, a professional you've only, athlete. You've only been on top of that. It's not like you did loads of songs. Yeah. You did one song yeah. or two if you count that B-side with the trolley dollies. And the 1986 one, which we'll get, we'll get to in a later episode. Yeah, yeah. Don't but you shit. haven't done many songs, so why don't you remember it? Viv Anderson oh. never done an album. I I, re- I regret an, getting angry with him. There was about an that. album though. There was an album that came out along with the single, and I had it. I think I've still got a copy of it. An in England house. album. An England album, and it was packed full of filler. Yeah. It had the two singles, the A side and the B side of the single. I think it had the theme from Grandstand. It probably had that BBC World Cup theme on it. Uh, I think it had Kevin Keegan's single Head Over Heels. Have you still got it? I've still got it in the house. Oh, somewhere. that's yeah. great. Probably should have dug it out before. Yeah, it I sounds like for this a good, podcast. like it was a good purchase. Um, I, I loved it now, at the time. Scotland had a great song. 
Do you they remember did. the Scotland song? It was performed by the star of Gregory's Gale, which I presumably was out. Sinclair. John Gordon Sinclair. And it was written and produced by B.A. Robertson. Is that right? I didn't know that. Hitmaker of the day, yeah. Yeah, it was a great song. I have it had a dream. A, it had a narrative to it, didn't it? Did. It, it was a... It, John Gordon Sinclair was a fan. Are we gonna are we gonna hear a bit of it? Well put a bit of it on, yeah, here we go. Now the next thing I know, someone's gone and tripped me. And I've fallen just inside the box. That's a penalty. Now ref, he looks to his linesman. And he's pointing straight at the spot! That's John Roberts, who normally takes them, is handing the ball to me. Then I hear my old lady screaming blue murder. She's saying, it's not the ball you're kicking, you're eating. It's me. That's that we have is a dream. Brilliant. That was better yeah. than the England one. Piss all over the England one. It that, absolutely it? rinses it. And also, if you look in the background, I mean, John Gordon Sinclair. If you look at the clip from Top of the Pops, it's a great performance by him in a lovely uh, tartan jacket. But behind him, just the sight of such gorgeous faces as John Walk and Steve Archibald, <laughs> a young Svel Alan Brazil. <laughs> Never have I said forget the bloody legs and co or hot gossip. I think that's the sexiest bunch of backing singers or dancers has ever been on top of the pops. I had a proper soft spot for Scotland in that tournament. I mean, why shouldn't I anyway? Because I'm a citizen of the United Kingdom. Well, do you know it what? I know what you mean because there's something about that. Just watching that clip, I think there are a lot of the top players of the time in the English league were Scottish. They were, yeah. And I don't know. They sort of have a kind of a roguish charisma about them, didn't they? That wasn't present in the England squad. No, it was like a bunch of lads, bunch of nice lads. We're yeah. all going off to have a right good time together in Spain. Yeah. Play a bit of football, see what see happens. See what happens, exactly yeah. it. And what happened was they they went home after the group stage. Yeah. Uh, they lost that Brazil match 4-1. Um, they'd already beaten New Zealand 5-2 in their first game, but what can I let was New Zealand. Anybody could beat New Zealand. I mean, and, it's silly um, that New Zealand have got a ridiculous. team. Ridiculous. And then a 2-2 draw with the Soviet Union put them out on goal difference. That's quite a um, David versus Goliath matchup, that, isn't it? Scotland, Scotland versus the, the Soviet, Soviet Union. Union. Not just Russia. Yeah. We're talking no. about... Russia every... doesn't. Russia sounds intimidating in itself. Yeah. We're talking about the Soviet Union. It's all, all of those countries. All of parts that were still together at the time. The, what, the, the biggest superpower ever built on God's earth How versus every Scotland. Yeah. How was the Soviet Union not winning? We've everything? all seen. Well, we hadn't seen it, and it was a few years off from being made. But those of us who've seen Rocky Four know that all Russian athletes then, as now, were being injected with all sorts Owly. of special. Uh, what would it have been? Monkey, monkey glands and yeah. and whatnot. And uh, and you know, stood on a treadmill, being observed 
by what's her name? Sylvester Stallone's ex-wife with a clipboard, Br- Bridget Br- Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen, who's recently announced she's pregnant again at the age of fifty-four. Well, that is lovely. I'm astounded that she's only fifty-four. But I digress. Yeah, and uh, but congratulations to her from everyone she's, here at um, World Cup Time Machine. I know she's a listener, and uh, well done. Is sending a good example out there to older women everywhere who still have maternal instincts. Yeah. Where so, were we? Um, Soviet Union. Mm. Anyway, let's move on. This is it. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is it. And um, the other home nation that was there was Northern Ireland. Do you think yeah. Northern Ireland had a song as well? If they did, I haven't heard it, but I'm I would like you. to find out. I'm going to tell you that they did, and they'd also roped in a, a major star as well, in the shape of Donna. Oh. And here's a bit of that. Yep, there we are, Northern Ireland, When Your Man Gets the Ball with Donna. Yeah. Now, one thing I noticed there, they sang, We're off to Spain, Never Mind the Rain. Everyone knows. There's not a rain in Spain. That, they were struggling. That in, is poor lyricism. In the summer. And it, the, the rain that there is obviously falls mainly on the plane, whatever that means. Well, yeah, well, I mean, that's well, let's put that to one side because I've always had a problem with those lyrics. But this was lazy lyricism by yeah. Dana or whoever it was she had writing her But songs. the song to me had a little bit of a Spanish kind of flourish about it. Yeah, though, that's nice. Which was nice. Something that was lacking in the England and the Scotland efforts. Yeah, and indeed the BBC theme tune. I mean, there's so much to Spanish culture that they could have tapped into, all of these people, and they failed to do. They failed to utilise it fully. And we haven't had a tournament in Spain since then, which seems a shame because it's very much a uh, footballing capital of the world. Perhaps it's something that's gone towards the failure of their bids. Yeah. The the, the cultural impact. We feel that aside from your fetching um, orange-based mascot, you didn't really make the most. sexy girlfriend. And it's sexy girlfriend and lemon mate. Lemon pal and a robot. And robot. We feel other than that, you failed to utilise. There was nothing about bullfighting. There was no maracas. No. Nope. There was nothing about tapas. No. Nope. Those um those spotty dresses with the um yeah like the shoes Madonna Warren La Isla Bonita. Uh huh. None of that stuff. No, they didn't really make the most of their wonderful, rich, and colourful culture. 
They didn't. But Northern Ireland also um, went out of the tournament, but they did get that fantastic win against Spain where Jerry Armstrong scored the, the winning goal in the 1-0 win, uh, which has basically been life-changing for him and he's, he's, he's carved out a career on the back of that. He went and played in Spain for a while afterwards mm. and he now, I think he still commentates on Spanish La Liga matches for Sky, all because of that one goal he scored in Spain in 1982. Billy Bingham was the manager, wasn't he? He was. With a lovely sort of big Billy Bingham. white hair, sort yeah. of quiff, curly quiff. Very little man, wasn't he? Very Four, four foot ten, I think, Billy Bingham. Really? Lovely. So. Like a, a genuine leprechaun. Yeah, like I don't know if that's a... racist to say, but I believe he was an actual leprechaun. Yeah, let's say that he was. Yeah. I don't know and it's not racist if it's are. true, which is um, a motto for this podcast. And indeed for life. <laughs> this, this is it! it. There was the Germans. They were real bastards they in this World rotten. Cup, weren't they? The Germans in this one were fucking rotten. Awful. They uh, got their asses handed to them in their first match against Algeria. Uh, which was weirdly played at the same time as England versus France. Same kickoff time. Different groups, but the same kickoff time. So the Spaniards have, have fucked up there with their admin. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I hate to. I mean, it doesn't do, do much to sort of confront stereotypes about Spaniards, does it? Oh, <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if one match was on BBC One and the other was on ITV, but even so, yeah. we should be able to watch. Every single I'm, match. Like, I think. I think. Up. I think we can assume someone might have had a little bit of a siesta while that was yeah. that bit of admin was supposed to have been taken care of. But that's what happened. Pre-match against Algeria, the Germans were full of it. Um, one of them said that he was going to dedicate the goals to his pet dog. Another one said that he was going to play with a cigar in his mouth and a smoking jacket on. Mm. And goalkeeper Harold Schumacher, who later went on to become top bastard. Yeah. in the tournament king bastard king bastard he won it they do they do that don't they you get the golden boot <laughs> yeah. then you get golden gloves for best keeper yeah. and then you get king bastard which yeah. is a crown that is awarded to the biggest bastard in the tournament a, a red hot crown yeah. and it was Harold Schumacher who, who said we will score four to eight goals just to warm up what an absolute bastard <laughs> and that was just the start of his bastardry yeah it got worse if you can believe it it got worse but the Algerians as I say handed their arses to them 2-1 but Germany turned Excellent. it around after that. Do you think the Algeria manager went into the changing room to give his team talk and simply stuck that quote up yeah. from Harold Schumacher? We'll have it translated first, probably, but yeah. Into our, from German to Algerian, which in the days before Google Translate would have been no a mean fucking feet. pain in the arse. No mean feat. But if you could found, find someone... They wouldn't someone... be able to get a Spaniard to do it. Oh, don't, don't worry about that. I mean, God knows who they would have got, but had he been able to do it in time found a German speaking Algerian he would have translated that blue tacked it up onto the wall or whatever they were yeah whatever I don't know if they had blue tack but whatever they used and then and then looked around and said nothing and strolled out yeah. casually with his arms behind his back and he thought job done job done yeah go on lads mm. let your football do the talking um, <laughs> a couple of other notable results Hungary beat El Salvador by 10 goals to one. Sensational. I love that sort of thing. Again, yeah. it's like New Zealand. You're asking the question, why are they there in the first place? And for the fact that Hungary knocked 10 past them and didn't sort of stop at six or seven, yeah. they just kept going like a machine. Yeah, because some people say that when you're thrashing a team at that level, you should um, take your foot off the gas out of respect. Bollocks. You know, in the last World Cup in 2014, that is what the Germans claim they did against Half Brazil. Time. 
Right. Well, because they beat them in the semi-final, something like seven-one, didn't they? Was it six-nil at half-time or something? Yeah, like that? and they said that they're on the. And apparently, the manager, who's a, you know quite a nice. I mean, the Germans have changed wholesale since the day that they were. Yeah. They were such on bastards. the face of it, they have. Well, they've yeah okay maybe it's a trick, but <laughs> you sound just like. Um, who would it be? Lord Halifax in the build-up in the interwar years, <laughs> warning us about how Hitler was rebuilding his air force. I'm not just applying it to Germany. I'm basically saying trust no one. Okay, fair in enough. any given situation, but especially the Germans. Yeah. So they that, since then they've pretended that they were and nice, the and, and apparently, what's his name, Joachim Lowe? He said, "Listen, lads, they're on their own turf. They're in front of their own crowd. We don't want to rub their noses in it. Take yeah. your foot off the gas a little bit." You reckon that's what happened? Well, that, that's what I heard happen. That's what he said. And um, do you, but you don't think that you don't think you should ever do that? No, not at all. Keep going. Until Fuck the El Salvadorians. Yeah, in well, the and eye. they had a, they had enough trouble going on in their lives. I mean, remember that film Salvador? Was that? I thought that was about Salvador Dali. No, <laughs> um, I might be getting muddled up, but I don't think El Salvador was a very was going. It wasn't having a nice time of it anyway, and that was before they got thrashed 10 You minutes. know what? I went off at a tangent to Hungary, El Salvador, and I don't think we're done with the Germans. Because yeah. the, <laughs> the, uh, the final match in the group stage between West Germany and Austria was one of the biggest farces that has ever oh, occurred yeah. in the World Cup. They both needed a point. Well, no. They, a low-scoring win for Germany, sorry, West Germany as it still mm. was then, a low-scoring win for West Germany would mean that both teams went through to the stupid second group mini group stage, thing, yeah. knocking Algeria out. So if I think if West Germany had won 4-0 against Austria, it would have been bye-bye Austria. Now, of course, with them being neighbours and everything and, and close friends, uh, they got their heads together. And West Germany scored after 10 minutes and both sides spent the rest of the match just aimlessly kicking the ball backwards and what forwards to each other. What a disgusting farce. Yeah. Basically. So for, let's get this straight. The Germans, t- the West Germans turn up. Yep. They start boasting about how they're going to humiliate Algeria, yep. how they're going to play smoking cigars. And, Next yeah. thing, they conspire with their old allies, the Austrians, mm. to make a mockery of the whole tournament in yep. front of our very eyes. They don't even try to hide it. Yep. And then, well, I'll let you get on to well, the worst bit of all. But by the but while while you gather your thoughts on that, yeah, Salvador was a film with James Wood. Oh, you've been googling that while we've been talking. Yeah, because I suddenly bought. When you look blankly at me, I thought, have I misremembered this? But this was a, a movie with James Wood and Jim Belushi. James Woods, who has gone on to become king bastard of Hollywood, unable to find work in America because of his penchant for booze and drugs. Photojournalist Richard Boyle, played by James Woods, heads to El Salvador with his DJ friend Dr. Rock. James Belushi, to see if he can get a gig covering the country's ongoing civil war. Boyle decides it's time to flee the country when the violence escalates to a level that even he is uncomfortable with. But his relationship with an El Salvadorian woman complicates matters. Um, And that is based on a true story. So if you look at that context of what was going on in El Salvador, like I say, they then get thrashed 10-0 on the box. Was this film released in the the year of the World Cup? No, it was five years after the World Cup, but... Right, so... But it covered the period of the World Cup. And is it based on a true story? Yeah, because there was a civil war going on in El Salvador. Seems tenuous. No, it did. Late seventies, early eighties. There was a yeah. Well, you tell us about what the well. 
Okay, so irrespective of the film, what I'm saying is they were going through hell, these people. Right. And then for one small bit of respite, they switched on the box. They couldn't believe their little country had made it to the World Cup. Yeah. And they got stuffed by the Magyars. Yeah. And then you just think, well, I can't catch a break here. Well, it's not my problem, is it? I'm not asking you. I'm just, well, I'm asking you for a little bit of sympathy. I haven't got a lot. No. All right. Getting back to the West Germany-Austria thing. I mean, the problem was, again, it was your Spanish admin because they'd set it up whereby the Algerian final game was played the day before West Germany-Austria. And, of course, nowadays we have them all on at the same time. So everyone doesn't know what the other team's doing or what they need to get So that's why they schedule it like that now to guard against cheating. Yeah, it's a memorial to this atrocity. It's to guard against bastards. It is. It is. That's exactly what it is. So, um, so yeah, the, the, the Germans and the Austrians just, just you know, idly pass the ball backwards and forwards to one another. Yeah, I've seen clips of it, and it's just absolutely disgusting. It's the way they don't try to hide and it. And I think there's an Algerian fella in the crowd, isn't he? He's, like, waving money at them as a protest. Of, like, yeah. You've done this to stitch up the rest of the world for money. And Fuckers. And then, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but what makes it more sickening is that then the Germans go on to go practically all the way out of the second mini group, did you go straight into a semi-final? Yes. And they put England out. Mm. And they put Spain out. So they won that group. Mm. Um, I might have the results written down here somewhere. Don't think I have. But yeah, that's what happened. And, and West Germany went, went, you know, all the way. I've got some more facts about the civil war in El Salvador. I have you. That's good. It started in 1979 after a coup on October 15th. The full-fledged civil war, Andy, lasted more than 12 years and saw extreme violence from both sides. Is there a death toll? Deliberate terrorising and targeting of civilians by death squads, the recruitment of child soldiers and other violations of human rights, mostly done by the military. An An unknown number of people disappeared during the conflict and the UN reports that the war killed more than 75,000 people between 1980 and 1992. Andy Dawson, 75,000 people. 6,000 a year. This was what was going on in 1982. And do you still Uh, feel nothing? I I would like to retract my earlier comments about about the plight of the Salvadorians. And I would like now to offer my deepest... And most sincere sympathies to 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 the the dead, to the the relatives of the dead, yeah. and to anyone who was touched by what was clearly a, um, a horrific and a, a senseless exactly child soldiers shit completely senseless. So anyway, the world <sighs> looked on aghast at what was going on in El Salvador in between drinking in the coverage of this wonderful World Cup, which really did get exciting in the later stages, didn't it? From the semi-finals on, there yeah. was, it was riddled with drama. It did, well, there was the group of death as well before we got the semi-finals, which was Argentina, Brazil and Italy. Wow. Shit. Shit in hell. Um, Argentina managed to lose against both teams. Um, Brazil beat them 3-1 with Maradona getting sent off. Maradona was kicked out of this tournament, so he to was. speak. He was he, a, was he was targeted because I think at the time he was playing for Barcelona, he was going into the tournament 
people were aware of him and thought he was going to be the superstar and he was fouled to shit yeah, and he lost in his every rug. game. He lost his rug in that last game against, against Brazil and mm. ended up getting stuff. But that Brazil team, should they have won the World Cup, that Brazil team? Uh, everyone flair. says they're the best team to not win the World Cup. I mean, think of some of the players they had. They had Zico, they had Falcao, Socrates, yeah. Adair, yeah. Junior. Yeah. They couldn't defend for shit, unfortunately. Good. Good. So they so that's why they went on the offensive all the time. Yeah. They had a donkey playing up front for them, Serginio. Right. Um but So in was terms it, of Zico was feels, like the number ten. Yeah. Yeah. And Socrates sort of looked like sort of sat in the middle. And they, had, sort of, they had a lot of number tens in a way, and I mean Falcao. It was mostly number tens. Yeah, it was just a load of number tens. Adair as well was the left wing, but he'd straight into the number ten position. Yeah, they were all it bumping was kind of into football. each other. Yeah, big pile of number tens. Uh, yeah, they were a great team, but um, unfortunately knocked out in one of the greatest games in World Cup history. A lot Italy of people three, say. Brazil two. Yeah, and that was the match when Paolo Rossi started to sort of mm. get his act together. Yeah. Because he'd been banned for two years for, for match, for match fixing. fixing, and it was it was actually a three year ban, but it was cut short because somebody involved in the in the original match, fix, match fixing thing came forward and said, "Oh no, these allegations were just made up. Let him play in the World Cup now." Well, you know, we in need it, him in Italy. I mean, we've already gone over we've the, Spaniards, the Spaniards, but yeah. I mean, then he gets to the Italians and it's all another level. <laughs> oh yeah, unbelievable. Save I mean, that for Italian night. To be fair, most of the mistakes that the Spanish make is, is not kind of they're not doing it with any malice. They just forget to do things. <laughs> but your Italians, I mean, it's all very calculated. Yeah, cynical. Yeah, and uh, Paolo Rossi. Yeah, I mean, nowadays you'd be thrown out forever. Yeah, but the Italians did a bit of jiggery pokery with the rules. Let him come back, and he started scoring hat tricks all over the place. He did three against Brazil, two in the semi final, and then one in the final, and he was the Golden Boot winner. Uh, what else happened regarding that? Yeah, we're going to mention the semi finals, weren't we? Brazil went out tough shit. You know, if you can't defend, you don't deserve to win a World Cup. And in the semi final, we saw uh, France versus the bastards of West Germany, <laughs> and King bastard Harold Schumacher. And his, his vicious assault on uh, Patrick Battiston. The worst foul of all time? Easily. One of the worst assaults by one man on, on another, another man. outside of the Salvadorian Civil War. It wouldn't. Uh, uh, it, was a t- it was a tackle that wouldn't have looked out of place in the El Salvador Civil War, which was a remark made by co-commentator Ron Atkinson. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it broke three of his vertebrae, I think. I mean, yeah, all sorts going on. It broke his jaw. He lost a couple of teeth. Schumacher then later said he would he would pay for the crowns on his teeth. Shithead. In an attempt at humour. He's a really horrible looking. I mean, he was a he was an evil bastard, Schumacher, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, he was fucking nasty. Yeah. And to make things he t- worse, he, cri- he crippled another man. And how the referee didn't see it because he ran clean out of his box. Is any kids watching this who haven't seen it? Christ, get on YouTube. Get the, get the fuck on YouTube. But I tell you what, get ready to be horrified because it is scarier than any of the scary horror films you watch nowadays like It or Saw 3. Yep. Because um, he, he comes charging out of it, clean outside of his area. Launches and he, he ignores the ball Batistong. completely and just launches his frame into Batistong. And the referee sees it. You can't not see it. Everyone in the stadium sees it. It's not sneaky. It's it's stupid. It's so blatant. Straight red? No. 
<laughs> Yellow card? No. no. Foul? Yeah. No. Didn't even give didn't a foul. Didn't even give him a little a, a little word. You know, sometimes he's, he's going to have him a talk to. He just said, play on, mate. Referee didn't see the foul, so he couldn't play see on. anything. Play, they played on 20 minutes hey, later. Hey, long hey, play to the whistle. Yeah, get out. I don't care if your jaw's broken. Play to the whistle. And to make things worse, uh, Batterstone's lying, you know, on the ground with his teeth all over the grass. There wasn't even a stretch at the hand. They had to go down and get one out of a cupboard oh, in the basement sake. of the stadium. Well... Do I make another xenophobic remark about you the feel Spanish? Free. Feel I free. mean, come on, Spain. Fuck's sake. This is a World Cup semi-final. It makes itself, doesn't Have it? Have a fucking stretcher on standby at the very least. Oh, dear me. Some fucking fella stood there with a fag on the go, probably eating a little dish of olives or something with yeah. little pickled fish or whatever. Ooh, nice. Well, no, it's not nice, is it? Because they eat everything off of a selection of little dishes rather than having one big proper plate of food. Well, I would have had it. You would have had it, but you would have still been hungry at the end of it, mate. Mm, Mark my words. This This is it! I think we'd move on to the final of the the World Cup. A great classic final. A great final. Italy and... West Germany. West Germany. The bastards. And justice was done. The Italians won. Uh, of course, we saw Marco Tardelli score that goal and then run off and celebrate. We've talked about this before on Top Flight Time Machine when I told you, it was something you didn't know, that he, when he was asked years later in an interview what he was shouting as he ran off in yeah. that very iconic and famous, perhaps the, the most famous goal celebration of all time, yep. the emotion, the passion in his eyes, uh, someone asked him, you say, what, did, what were you shouting? And what was he shouting? He was shouting... Marco Tardelli <laughs> over and over again, which of course is fantastic. He's just yeah. scored a goal in the World Cup final, the winning goal. He's running off shouting his own name because nothing's ever better than that for any human that's it ever lived. It doesn't get any better than that. He's, he's now a part of history and he's, he's roaring his own name. After we mentioned that, regular listener um, Matt JB on Twitter, yeah. who also goes by the name of Black Math, said, I just listened to you talking about Marco Tardelli shouting his own name, and thought you should know about this. Tony Polster yeah. used to whisper his name into the opposition goalkeeper's ear after scoring. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I like that. Tony Polster. <laughs> Jesus. So he, runs, he puts the ball in the net. The keeper's like prone on the ground or whatever. He runs up or with to his him. head in his hands. Yeah. And Polster runs up to him and goes, Tony Polster. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to start whispering my name into people's ears much more regularly. How about you? <laughs> when you've pulled off something of Just, naught. Yeah. Yeah, I you think Get so. inside their mind, don't you? Yeah, I was going to do that as well, yeah. Andy Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> so, Italy won 3-1. The scorer of the West Germans' uh, only goal was Paul Breitner. Mm. And he's one of the very few men who scored in two World Cup finals. He scored the 1974 final as well. And what's good about Paul Breitner? Well, let's face it, there's lots of things that are good about Paul Breitner. Let's see some he, of them. Was, <laughs> he was also a Maoist and a fan of Che Guevara. Fair enough. So he was pretty hardcore in his politics as a younger man. Mm. Shortly after signing for Bayern Munich in 1970, Breitner tried to avoid national service by hiding in a coal cellar for a week. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> this is a professional footballer. Hiding in a coal cellar. He was um, helped out by Uli Hernus, his oh, teammate, yeah. who Great. covered for him. But he was eventually captured and then forced to clean military toilets for a year. 
And he was already an established international footballer when I don't all know this if he was went international, on. but he was playing for Bayern at that point. Right. He described Bayern later as a nouveau riche money based aristocracy. Yeah. And went on to say, the Bundesliga, I'll do it in the voice, shall I? The Bundesliga is big business. Hmm. Almost everything revolves around money. There's no room for socialism. No, of course there is. The whole business of transfer fees is unlawful. It's contrary to human rights and basic human dignity. Keep that in mind, because later on, Paul Brighton moved to Real Madrid, and when he was not able to take his favourite sports car with him to Madrid, he declared it was the saddest thing that had ever happened to him. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Talk about champagne socialism. (laughs) There's more. In 1977, Paul Breitner was sponsored by a tobacco company and was driving around Munich in a Maserati. Fuck me. He also, when he was at Madrid, he had sausages shipped in from Germany every week. Fucking Paul Breitner. <laughs> Why has no one made the um, biopic? Why has Oliver Stone <laughs> not made a movie called Breitner? I think I need to edit this bit out because that's what me and you are going to do. Once I'll this tell you, podcast I'll get, finished. I'll get uh, Bradley Cooper to play him, probably. Nice one. Mm. I'm not sure who that is, but nice one. Yeah, he's really handsome. There's a, there's a, <laughs> couple, there's a couple more um, facts about Paul Breitner I'd like to impart before we finish. Just before the 1982 World Cup, Breitner accepted a 150,000 Deutschmark contract from a cosmetics company and shaved off his beard. <laughs> the beard he had grown to assert his leftist leanings. Okay. He said, the beard is not something that's very important for me. I just have it because my wife likes it. Ooh. And he also said he'd happily feature in adverts for McDonald's. And finally, in 1998, Paul Breitner became the coach of the German national team, but then changed his mind after 17 hours. Fucking hell. What about this one, about the film? He, he has been in a film. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, Potato Fritz, <laughs> which was a Western about some Germans stumbling upon a gang of gold thieves. Now, Breitner's still alive, right? Of course he yep. is. Breitner will never die. No. He's a, he's going to be the first man to cheat death. He is. Um, we need to get involved with Paul Breitner we more. We need to do something. I, mean, I don't know <laughs> what Paul it is. I'm, I'm feeling that we should... Just make a podcast, a weekly podcast about that's only Paul about Breitner. the life and times of Paul Breitner. And get him involved, but it's going to cost us, though. It's not going to be cheap. Money is absurd. The exchange of human resources for money, which is an artifice of the capitalist oppressive system, is contrary to our very basic human rights. That said, if you want me to be on your podcast... I will demand 40,000 Deutschmarks and a barrel of sausages. Deutschmarks don't exist anymore, no. Paul Breitner. I want Deutschmarks. <laughs> All right. Paul Breitner. <laughs> Very well. We um, will see what we can do. And that's the World Cup 1982. It's done. And we're going to leave you with the uh, ITV's inferior theme tune from that 1982 World Cup. Bye, Sam. Alvida Sain, or as they say in Spain... Ta-da. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.